demons to some, angels to others. A good omen spot fic, written by Entangled Now and read by Job. This is a Hellraiser fusion and contains horror elements and extreme body modification. So please mind the tags. The first thing a Zeropy learns is that hell is cold. Hell is an absence. Hell is to be deprived. Hell is to be nothing and feel nothing. But to learn what nothing truly is, you must first be forced to feel everything. Those who roam its flat grey plains, its stone labyrinths and its blood-soaked halls are tasked with the collection and cataloguing of sensation and of experience. The bodies they were are both their instruments and their rewards. But to them there is little difference between religious euphoria and overwhelming dread, between exquisite bliss and unbearable agony. There is only sensation and the lack of it. Hell, Aziraphale now knows, is being forced to learn the difference over and over again. Which is something he doesn't think human minds were ever designed to suffer through. The demons, the priests in Hell's service, were not, at their very core, driven by cruelty. Aziraphale suspects some of them even think themselves teachers of unnecessary truth. But they were also very efficient in their devotion. Aziraphale didn't have to die to discover any of this. He just had to translate a few books that he shouldn't have done, combine several passages that were never meant to be read, sketch a few diagrams on the whiteboard in his study. So many accidents which could have led him unknowingly to somewhere unimaginably terrifying. It was fortunate for him that the portions of text he'd been working with only managed to open the smallest gap between the living world and the depths of Gehenna. Not enough to constitute an invitation to be taken as a hand reaching out for knowledge. But there was still a way for any curious enough to find it. He was lucky that the demon who'd slipped through was a curious sort. He descends the stairs from his bedroom when he feels the chill. The touch of it on his skin very different from a normal nighttime breeze, drifting in through an open door or window. Though in this case the door that had been left open did not lead to outside. Aziraphale takes his tea into the study and finds Crowley considering his bookshelf, the black-nailed fingers of one hand stroking the spine of his favorite copy of Dracula. From behind, he almost looks human, though his arms and legs through tight leather look impossibly thin. His reddish hair curves in an artistic forward wave, the back of his neck glinting with sharply curved pieces of metal 
that give the impression of scales. They could almost be piercings if you missed how deep they were driven into the skin. Oh, Aziraphale wraps a hand around his mark, allows himself a moment to feel a swoop of excitement and affection at the unexpected visit. Crowley! Crowley turns towards him, and all pretense at humanity falls away. He's so pale that there's a faint blue tint to his skin, and he has yellow eyes with sharp vertical pupils. His oversized lower jaw, which splits up his cheeks like a snake's, is swirled shut with an array of black pins, wire, and staples. Aziraphale doesn't know what sort of metal they are made of, but they've resisted all of his attempts to remove them to Crowley's amused indulgence. There's only enough space between the press of his lips for the testing flicker of his tongue, which is long and forked. It makes communication difficult. But the way Crowley lifts one pale hand when a Xerophil comes close is familiar enough. He raises his own from the warmth of his mug and lays it against Crowley's cold fingers. Hello, darling. He should be afraid. He had been afraid the first time and the second. The third curiosity won him over, and the fourth, the fourth time Crowley had brought him a book. The red length of the demon's tongue slides free, flutters against the harsh line of metal it finds, then curls around the arc of a staple at the corner of his mouth before retreating back inside. Aziraphale imagines that if the demon could do such a thing, he would be smiling. There's a low, settling hiss, and Crowley's fingers slide round his own, then used a grip to encourage Aziraphale forward to press the flat of his hand to the leather of Crowley's chest. Aziraphale lifts his other hand, cups the bare curve of Crowley's neck, watches his eyes sink shut. You didn't get into trouble. You stayed so long last time. Aziraphale had shown Crowley what he'd made for him in the back room, the late sun catching the array of flowering plants he'd put in there for him. There were no flowers in hell, and Aziraphale had wanted to give Crowley something of his own, to remind him of the world and their time together. It was my fault, I know. I was worried about you. Crowley shakes his head, the chill of his thumb giving long strokes to the back of Aziraphale's hand. He hisses a short noise that might be reassurance, or an insistence that he's not going to get in trouble. But Aziraphale worries, he does. He worries about a lot of things. When Crowley is gone for long periods, he can't help but think that some punishment awaits him, 
that this thing they have fallen into is forbidden. It must be. He can't imagine the place Crowley resides is happy to let its demons roam, or to fall in love. But whenever he tries to ask, Crowley will simply lay fingers across his mouth and shake his head. The quiet rumbling hiss something like amusement. It's so difficult to remember the tones and vibrations to the sounds he makes. Though by now he can spot teasing and indulgence a mile away. His demon is surprisingly willing to indulge him, which seems such a strange thing considering his nature. He wishes he could indulge him half as often. I have something for you, Aziraphale tells him. The question had been vexing him since the moment Crowley had laced their fingers together with slow but obvious intent. How does one satisfy a creature of extreme and violent delights? Aziraphale had no illusions that his frail human body, getting on in years now, was up to the task. Crowley had likely spent millennia testing the very limits of endurance, of suffering and of pleasure. Human and non-human alike. With perhaps only a bare understanding, then they were not at all the same. He knew far better than Aziraphale exactly what his body could withstand before it broke. Though Crowley had seemed uninterested in proving as much to him, instead a testing tangle of hands had become fingers in his hair, a ghost of a caress at the base of his spine, and eventually the chill of Crowley's long body against his own. Aziraphale had explored Crowley's many piercings and decorations, the snake stitched deep into the flesh down one arm, the bare bones of his forearm embedded with shining stones down the other. Hideous injuries on anyone else. Crowley revered them almost shyly, as if he wanted Aziraphale to find them beautiful. Aziraphale had tried, and Crowley had been patient with them. Crowley was always so very patient with him. It had still taken him a while longer to realize that this was how Crowley felt things. The places that were open had let draw, pierced and decorated with metal and glass and jewels. Crowley was showing Aziraphale the places where he could feel. There was something to the vulnerability and the hope of it that left Aziraphale determined to meet him, if not halfway, somewhere the edges of their pleasure could touch. Aziraphale, given the opportunity, could be quite creative. Crowley's head tips to one side, a curious noise curling up from his throat. Aziraphale smiles and moves to the desk, where he's been keeping a box for weeks now. Nervous but hopeful, 
uncertain if it would be well received. He draws it free and presses it across to his silent demon, gestures for him to open it, which he does. Inside is a strip of tartan fabric, a mix of strong, vibrant, and pleasing to the touch. Crowley lifts it on two fingers, letting the silky material drag on her skin. Aziraphale doesn't know if he can feel it, but something in his eyes looks warmed. Will you wear it? he asks. Crowley's only answer is to lift his other hand, unbuckling the straps and laces on the leather that binds his upper body until it parts, sliding off his sharp shoulders, freeing his long arms with their stitching and their exposed pale bones and bright red stones that look so much like scales. Crowley lets the whole thing slip free and fall to the floor. Then he holds out the tartan ribbon to Aziraphale and turns his back to him. There are metal eyelets bored deep into the skin and muscle of Crowley's back, currently pulled tightly together with a length of wire that stained an old and faded rat. The stretch of his skin is long past where humans would have torn. Aziraphale lifts his hands and carefully unpins the end, being very aware of the extreme tension. But the wire doesn't lash painfully against his fingers. It relaxes in stages. Crowley's skin, for a moment, retains the extreme stretch before it slowly starts to settle. Aziraphale begins the task of drawing the wire free, the red of it flaking and long dried against his fingers. I wanted you to think of me, he offers quietly. I know hell is perhaps not so cold and lonely for you, but I would like it if a part of me was with you. There's a long, wet hiss, like a word torn in two, and Crowley's head bows forward, the line of his neck segmented by sharp wedges of shining metal where his neck bones should be. I thought to myself that if you wore something of mine beneath your clothes, if I could be a part of you, a part that you can feel all the time, you would think of me too. I didn't know if you would want that. The wire comes free and falls away, leaving Crowley's back bare beneath the zero fins fingers. It's likely the demon can't feel the slide of his hand. The way he touches curiously where the rings have pulled deep gorges into the flesh, though there's so little blood to show for it. If you think of me there at all. The words are softer than he means them to be, a flavor of hope to them that's almost closer to heart. He still doesn't know, after all this time, what Crowley sees in him, 
why he keeps returning to his small and uneventful house, full of books and tea and a Zerafian. He doesn't know why Crony chose him. The thought of pain has always frightened him. The idea of his body being so out of his control, the reminder of how frail he was, how easily damaged. Such an irony to fall in love with one who exhorts the very heights of it. Aziraphale threads the end of the ribbon through the first loop, high on Crowley's left shoulder. He lets himself be soft, his movements slow and gentle. It's a small thing to give, but it's the only thing he has. He knows that Crowley's body must have taken far worse punishment than he can imagine, but Aziraphale doesn't know if anyone has ever been gentler with him. Perhaps that will be different enough? I know the tartan is a little on the nose, he admits. I wanted to think of you wearing it. The material is passed through four hooks. Six, eight, ten. Crowley remains still and quiet. He doesn't even breathe while Aziraphale gently works on the last three rows, while he decorates the long, pale length of his back with a soft, tartan ribbon. It seemed a secret you could keep beneath your clothes. Perhaps that was silly of me. Hush! The broken word is a long sigh, insistent. Aziraphale pauses in his work to lean in and press a kiss to the slope of Crowley's shoulder. Then he draws the laces together, watches the skin pull slowly towards the middle of Crowley's back, until there's roughly six inches between the two sides. Will you feel me like this? he asks. There's a pause, a tip of head that reveals a closed eye, and the scatter of metal and flesh that holds his wide mouth shut. A quiet noise breaks in the demon's throat, perhaps apology or frustration. Either way, Aziraphale has his answer. He draws the laces tighter still, the rings pulling the flesh thin, until the bright red of raw flesh shows at the edges. It unnerves him for a moment, but he tells himself that Crowley's skin will not tear unless he wishes it to. Crowley is not like him. Crowley is not bound to the flesh the way he is. There is a desire here, and he can fulfill it, if he has faith. He pauses, considering, and then pulls methodically at each row, watching the tartan strain as the gap between both sides narrows to barely a few inches. He draws the material tight at the bottom, watches it dig into the skin of his hands. He hears Crowley sigh, a sound of such soft adoration. 
will you fear me like this? Aziraphale asks again. Crowley inclines his head. Aziraphale very carefully ties the ends off, knots them tight, strokes his hands down the dangling lengths of them as they brush the waist and seat of Crowley's tight leather trousers. I may not always understand you, Aziraphale admits. We are very different. But I love you, and I'll give you what I can. You're always welcome here. You're always welcome in my home, in my life, in my bed. Crowley turns and takes hold of him, fingers threading with his own, as he draws Aziraphale in. There's a moment of stillness, the demon heavy with tension, with want, the quiet tick of metal scraping bone, screws turning, staples bending. But then his fingers slide between his earfields, the whole of him relaxing with a sigh, the fold of his hand gentle. Crowley slowly pulls, drawing him towards the stairs, the sway of his hips sharp and lovely. Aziraphale watches the swing of tartan ribbons, the pattern of skin and hooks, of twisted muscle and blood. He's learning that strange and dangerous things can be beautiful. He's drawn into the darkness of his bedroom and east towards the bed, Crowley stripping leather as he goes. There are metal nails where nails should never be, holes where things were recently removed, the raw muscle inside that will never rot, never swell with infection, but will simply remain until the flesh is replaced. There are genitals today, Aziraphale notices. Sometimes there are none, sometimes there is simply a stitched line, or a gorged hole. Aziraphale tries not to judge the changeable shape of his lover, but sometimes it's still a struggle. He reaches out, finds the sharp edges of Crowley's hips. May I? he asks, because he's learned that there's a sort of ceremony to it. Hong Angsh. The words are always the same, though Aziraphale has never puzzled out exactly what they are. He knows that it's permission. He cups the pale weight of Crowley's testicles, fingers finding the curves of metal pierced through them and carefully easing them free. The base of his cock is ringed with sharp studs that each come out slowly leaving faint holes behind that bleed pink across Aziraphale's fingertips. Crowley's hand settles in his hair, letting the half-curl slide between his fingers. A soothing gesture, a reassurance that what he's doing is all right. Moving upwards, Aziraphale carefully removes a winding chain of sharpened star-shaped charms, and two bars of black metal. Finally, curved at the tip, the head of a snake, 
its silver fangs punched deep into the head of Crowley's cord. Azimafir sets them all carefully in the glass dish on the bedside table. Once Crowley's body is devoid of anything that could hurt him, only then does he settle on the bed with him. Only then does he reach for him, sliding Aziraphale's comfortable worn shirt from his shoulders, the chill of him encouraging his snippets to peek, drawing Crowley's attention and his curious fingers. Aziraphale can't help the noises he makes, the soft pleas to have Crowley's hands on him. The way his touch moves to the waist of his trousers, drawing them down his legs and off. The underwear goes last, and if Crowley finds anything displeasing about Aziraphale's plump, bare, undecorated cock, it never shows in his face. He draws Crowley's naked body down, touches his chest, his shoulders. Is this what you want? Aziraphale asks. He always asks. He can't help but ask. The hiss is long, and his wrist is caught, hand pulled down to touch where Crowley is hot and cold. Aziraphale asks no more questions. He lays back in the bed, drawing a knee up as he watches Crowley use the bottle of lubricant on the cabinet to slick himself. The holes and gorges in his skin are still visible, the scatter of them pinpricks of red on his pale skin. The first push is slow, a tide coming into shore, the steady ache of pressure that opens and fills him, a moan cracking free when a zebra fair stretches around him. The soft herd of it is a ghost of what Crowley needs to fear. He knows as much, though Crowley has never made him feel less for his inability to give him that. One of Aziraphale's hands curls over his head to fist in the pillows above him, the other gripping a narrow waist, feeling the slide of tartan silk over his knuckles when the ribbon slides sideways with the motion of his hips. Crowley comes to rest against him, still and cold, buried all the way inside Aziraphale. It's a sweet fullness, unhurried, patient. It's only when he urges him on that he draws back, sinks deep again. The movement repeats, always slow to start, a rhythmic press and rub to Aziraphale's prostate, that leaves him moaning quietly. Crowley! The demon's eyes are fixed on him, black starbursts in venom yellow. But there's a stiffness to his bound jaw, a hunger. The quick flutter of his tongue is long enough to tickle against his mouth and neck. The promise of a kiss they can never never have. Aziraphale reaches upwards, catches the fluttering length of silky fabric, his hand turning to grip them, 
pulling on every measured thrust into his body. Crowley sighs a breath, his hands curling tight round Trosiophil's thighs, spreading them wide enough to wake. One hand reaches down when Crowley's cock slips almost free, gathers the slickness there, and then touches Aziraphale's own, where it bounces against the flesh of his stomach. The demon's grip moves easily between tight and loose, until Aziraphale is panting. His pleasure builds slowly a coil of tension through his whole body, the weight of it catching him up and then shoving him over. He groans his way through it as Crowley continues to slowly fuck him, his body trembling and sensitive to every push of his hips. As if he could be nothing but a vessel for Crowley's pleasure, though he knows it's impossible. He's still moaning his way through the last shivers of it when Crowley slides free of him, the wet shine of his cock still erect, left ignored as if his own arousal is an afterthought. His pale hands spread Aziraphale's thighs to see the used warmth of his body, the flush of his hole, before he settles against his side, arm cautiously curling around him. The tight red stitching of the snake makes it look as if a giant serpent holds him. Crowley has a fondness for snakes, something that pleases him, or something familiar in the shape of them. Often he has the twisting image of one branded into the side of his face, or the base of his spine. Aziraphale had traced its raw edges, while Crowley hummed quite pleasure. Aziraphale turns his head, kisses the soft skin of Crowley's temple, the curve of his ear, carefully avoiding the spread of sharp metal that runs along his jaw. I'm sorry, he says quietly. I know you desire far more than I could give you. I wish I could please you. I wish I could be what you need. I wish... Long fingers lift and cover his mouth. Crowley gives a long, hissing punch of air, then draws Aziraphale's warm hand to the center of his cold chest and presses it down. Aziraphale thinks, for once, that he understands perfectly. The End